Welcome to Startup Dads, a podcast about the highs and lows of building a business and raising a family at the same time. For more information about the topics we cover on the podcast and other Startup Dads related content, you can follow us on Twitter at Startup Dads Pod. I'm Amrit, co-founder of Hyper Exponential, a tech startup that I co-founded in 2017. It's grown from a two-person team working out of my kitchen to a profitable business with several large clients and more than 20 team members across London and Europe. I'm also dad to Evie, my first child who was born last December. Today's guest is the founder of Collective Benefits, a London-based startup working to provide insurance, benefits and pensions to the growing number of us choosing to be self-employed. Here's Ben Hay. Benjamin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what makes you a startup dad? Sure, absolutely. And uh, great to be here. Yeah, so I think dad before startup, family always comes first, right? So I am uh, the father to two uh, wonderful and uh, often challenging children. Uh, my son is five, my daughter is two. And at the moment, I, I'm more startup teacher than startup dad, I would say. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, so, Ben, you're the COO at Collective Benefits, and the COO position, something I've learned myself, absolutely critical position, and the, also one that varies wildly from business to business. Uh, so what does it entail for you? Yeah, it is, a, it is a big generalist role. I'm sadly not a specialist at anything, so I cover a whole bunch of sins. The exciting stuff, as I like to call it, sort of, you know, governance, legal, people, finance excessive amounts of forms filling at, uh, at an early stage startup and uh, particularly where we're a regulated business like us. But more than anything, I think it just covers really thinking about the day-to-day ticking of the business and making sure that everything is placed and, and, and set up for others to succeed. So it's really about enabling others. I suppose, you know, as Collective Benefits has grown and got off to a great start, kind of how has your role changed changed over time? I mean, I think it's changed in the sense that we've obviously brought in people who know how to do things much better than me. You can't mm-hmm. do everything by yourself. And so right at the beginning, you know, my, you know we're an insure tech. My background is not in insurance. And so I, I had to upskill in lots of areas, which I was really unfamiliar with. And then slowly over time, you know, we've been fortunate to bring in some really fantastic people who, uh, who have a lot more uh, expertise in those things. And that enables me to focus on the things which are a little bit more familiar to me. So the, the bits which keep us ticking uh, and less about the kind of day to day. What are we building? What's the product? How does it work? You know, what's the underwriting capacity? All that. Like, we now have people who know how to do that rather than uh, someone like myself who was learning on the job. It is amazing, isn't it? I think a lot about this, you know, because time moves very quickly. My job before we hide our CEO, I, I will always remember my rock bottom, like the Nadir, the person who's now our CEO, was ordering the curtains, right? <laughs> ordering the curtains for the office. And I was like, I am, um, you would not ask me to do this for anyone, let alone for our business. Yeah, I completely share that. Yeah, we moved into an office and there I was, you know, ordering crockery, cutlery, all the things which I literally have no idea about. And I'm not a big coffee drinker. The coffee machine was a source of massive debate in the office. I was like, I, guys, I really don't know. I know we need one. Can someone just tell me what it looks like? Send me the Amazon link. I'll go sort it out. Um, sure. But yeah, it's kind of that father hen, mother hen role at the same time when you're starting out. Yeah, which is a perfect segue, actually, for me to ask you about. You know, So how does that cross over into family life for you? Are, are you the family jack of all trades? I'm absolutely useless at anything DIY. So uh, I'm certainly not a jack of all trades. Olivia, my wife, is magnificent, all those sorts of things. But I think with with fatherhood, 
it's been about being able to adapt and do a whole bunch of stuff. You know, no, I, I now admire no one more than primary teachers, school teachers, yeah. you know, who have that ability to teach English and maths and art and design and science and music. And we're having to do all those things at home with a lot of support and guidance from the school. But it's it's a massive undertaking to have that ability to flex across so many different things. You know, my my son, we do, you know, he does stories every night and he's now reading. Uh, and I was reading him a story last night. And he was asking me questions about it. He's like, Dad, how do you know this stuff? I was like, I'm just, I've just been around longer. That's all it really comes down to. <laughs> There's no special skill. I've just been around a lot longer than you. It's funny, isn't it? I think that's probably the sort of thing that applies in business as well. You know, learning the ins and outs of how all of these things work, the skills you accumulate. Yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine who moved to New York, set up a fintech in New York came back to the UK after a few years doing that. And he said, you know, the difference between startups in the UK and startups in America is in America, they've done the 10,000 hours, really honed the craft. They really understand what it takes to see. They, they put in the time, energy and effort. And that's why you see Silicon Valley startups being so much further ahead, perhaps, of, of UK startups or other European startups. And I think we're catching up in, in the UK. Yeah. But people have really, you know, they go into their first startup in their early twenties. They've done three or four by the time they're in their thirties. You know, I didn't start my first one until I was I was forty. Yeah, it's so true. I, I don't know about you, but I often think about if I could rewind and I'd play it forward again. You know, the path that I could have plotted to make my life way way easier, right? And I think it's a fascinating thing. It's hard to you know, it's hard to talk about this if you're a chief or a co-founder of a business because you know you're not supposed to show any weakness right in any of these things but i think you're really right there about you know lots of this stuff is learnable and if you went again at it yeah you'd have a different set of tools and skills and there's a lot to be said about that yeah i mean i think you know you i've had a pretty varied career right you know so i started off as a lawyer i moved into social impact and philanthropy at virgin group and then in, into startups you learn different things all along the way, you know, and you don't need to be an expert at everything, but you need to know who to turn to and who, who to talk to. So, you know, as a barrister, I used to do a whole bunch of cases involving all factual stuff I had no experience in. That could have been, you know, aircrafts in the military to uh, hospitals and NHS trust to the London transport system and, and, and having to kind of get up to speed with those. Similarly, once I moved into social impact and philanthropy, we worked on things like solar energy in Africa, the future of work a whole bunch of different stuff and there are people who are experts and you need to be able to listen and learn from them and challenge them but on the way you start to pick up lots of useful information and knowledge and that also applies just to to day-to-day running running of things you know how do people approach problems um how do people make sure you know create great cultures and great environments for people to work in and if you can absorb that from others and decide what's important to you, then I think you you slowly get on the right track. But you know, if you knew all the answers, if life went in straight lines, it wouldn't be that much fun. That's a very good point. When I hear you speak, I can see why you're the COO at your business, because you've got a very systematic way of thinking. And when, you know, I, I think great COOs, you can think, they think, I, I, think, I suppose great leaders in general, right? They think a lot about how the system that they're building actually can be really strong and scalable. That's really interesting. So you you picked up on something that I want to unpack a little bit more there because, you know, you began life as a lawyer, right? And now you're running a startup. I often, you know, when I'm asked to look at these incredibly painful and complicated enterprise contracts, really wish it's the skill, you know, the extra skill I wish I had that is the legal side of things and probably a little bit more patience uh, as well. Um, But, you know, how do you think about filling the gaps in the skills that you don't have or that, you know, you see collective benefits are missing as you grow? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's the old 
there's the old adage about hiring people that are better than you and bringing in great talent. And so part of that, I think, is really understanding your strengths and your weaknesses, both as an individual, as a founding team, as a business overall, and then starting to realize what gaps you need to you need to fill to really you know, take you on the journey and, and, on, and on the mission. And you'll bring in different people at different stages. And I think as you progress, you need to bring in more and more specialist people. You start off with you know, a wonderful group of dedicated, committed, generous, uh, and then you add to that some wonderful, wonderful specialists as well. But if you're going to bring in a whole range of people, I think you know, you've got to be very intentional about how you do that and how you find the right talent. I think that's one of the things the experience at Virgin particularly taught me. You, know, you don't build something like Virgin without being able to delegate. You, know, you don't start mm. off like Richard Branson did with a student newspaper and then turn that into a global empire. Um, yeah. and so you have to learn how to delegate, but how to find people who who you trust and believe in to, to take on that work and advance it and, and take it further than you're capable of. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. What do you look for in, in people when you're hiring? Because I think that's a really, you know, the higher people, better than you is a really, you know, almost a cliche, but absolute truism. It's hard to do, though. Yeah, it's hard to do because sometimes you don't know what necessarily is better than you, right? You don't know what you don't know. Certainly, sometimes I definitely know what I don't know. Uh, but there are other times where actually it can be quite hard to set that, that bar as high. So what are the kind of characteristics and tricks you use to find? Yeah, I think um, I think there are three things which I, which I always look for. So, uh, I mean, above all, passion. You want people who are really excited about what you're doing and are going to commit to that. But that needs to be tempered, I think, by humility and generosity. For me, they're two really important traits. You need people who are going to help each other who uh, are going to help grow that business. And it's often overlooked that you, you need to have that characteristic of this is bigger than me. It's not about me. So humility mm. is important, but also the, the opportunity for people who are prepared to give um, and have that yeah. generous spirit about um, about how how to take the whole team on the journey. So I am not a technical person. And what I really admire in the engineering team that we have is the generosity and patience they show me when they're explaining things to me so that I can understand it. So it helps me do my job better and support them better. Um, but they have that patience and they have that generosity. Yeah, uh, it's a really, really good point. I really like that, actually. And I think it's a, a slightly different perspective to the one you hear a lot. And I, I think it speaks to the idea that actually it's not talked about very much in startups because, you know, the favorite analogy that one people talk about is this high-performing sports team, right? Where if you don't perform, you're out. It's not a family, it's a sports team. Whereas actually, I think... If you focus a little bit on everyone's ability to lift everyone else, you do get actually something more. And, you know, maybe that's just great teamwork and that's actually part of a, a high performing sports team. But that generosity side, you know, people going the extra mile to help you. If everyone does that, you end up with a far better, more connected organizations. Yeah, I share that view on kind of the high performing teams. Um, Past me thinks a little bit around you know the, the things I've learned from being a dad. I suppose to bring it back to the father point, the hardest thing often to teach your children is how to share. Yeah, yeah, how to be generous. How to, it's not just all about me to start understanding there are other people around you. And you know, I remember my son was starting a new nursery class. And they said, you know, it might be amazing that your kid knows how to count already up to 100. And, he, and it might be amazing that they know all their letters. But do they know how to share? Because actually, that's really what matters is, you know, can you be part of a larger community and can yeah. that large community go forward together and do something great? Um, and, you know, those softer social skills are, are, are essential in, in building that successful culture, in my view. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. 
Uh, my daughter's going to be 15 months in a, in a few days. And I'm told by my wife that I'm trying to teach her to share far too early. I don't think my technique's particularly great either <laughs> by trying to take stuff over. I'm like, no, come on, sharing. Sharing involves giving it to me. Um, my turn, your turn. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I think it, it's a really great point. It's funny, isn't it? These things that you take for granted, actually, but our skills that need to be led and form part of working, you know, uh, form part of teamwork. Yeah. And I think part of that is also understanding that not every day is going to be perfect. And there are going to be moments of tension and difficulty and challenges along the way. But if you don't have people who are passionate, if you don't have people who are generous and are humble, that clash can be quite a difficult one and not a productive one. And there's nothing wrong with conflict and productive conflict. Um, yeah. But you need to have, I think, yeah, the, the social skills around that for, to make it really work. Yeah, definitely. I think Ray Dalio, uh, uh, you know, the well-known hedge funder, talks a lot about thoughtful disagreement. Yeah. Uh, and I've always liked that phrase a lot, right? Because I think, you know, disagreeing is really valuable, but doing it thoughtfully, doing it respectfully, doing it in a way that means that you get some value out of it rather than just having a fight. Because I think, you know, you know, those sorts of stereotypical stuff that you might see on TV about people just having a heated debate over a technological choice, like no one wins like, at the end of that. Yeah. There's no winner at the end of that. And it's about how heated on TV, they seem to all walk away and be like, you know, best mates within five minutes and that, you know, yeah, that's yeah. not reality. They're right? actually, you know, things can fester and boil over and you need to be able to have open conversations and enable that to happen. It's not a solo game. No, no, absolutely not. So I suppose on a related note, how do you think about actually bringing people in outside collective benefits? You know, I think one of the things that I've really found is that as HX has grown, I've had to shift my focus from just thinking about internally. I mean, don't get me wrong, scaling a business fast internally is a huge challenge. But what you find is the kind of surface of people and clients, customers, the market and everyone you're in, uh, engaging with, like that grows a lot. So how do you think a little bit about yeah, how you manage your network and grow your network outside uh, collective benefits? I think one of the things which is, is so important is building a great network of people that you can turn to and rely upon. And you're, I, I, you know, what always surprises me is how much willing people are to help you out along the way. People are generous. People are generous with their time. They're generous with their contacts. They're generous with their advice. And you need that. And so, you know, at every stage, everywhere you go, you don't need to be the world's greatest networker. I'm certainly not. I'm actually quite introverted. Stick me in a large crowd of people and I, I kind of hide in the corner a little bit. But if you can get to know people uh, and just kind of find, find common points of commonality, and and be supportive of the things that they're doing. That's always, I, yeah, I think a really really helpful thing. Now, there is an element of things like LinkedIn and now Clubhouse, which is a bit self indulgent, mm. and uh, you know the humble bragging and all that kind of stuff, which feels like the sort of thing you need to do. But also, I think if you're supportive in those environments and and you build your network through those um, and those connections, then I think you start to build a valuable resource which you can turn to and rely upon. I can't say I always do it. I do try, but I, I always try to help people when they ask me for something. Do you know someone who can, who, who can help me with X, Y, and Z? Can you put me in touch with this person? Now, I will always try and do that because one day that favor might need to be returned. Yeah, yeah I think that pay it forward side of things is really important. Just thinking about that a little bit more, because I think this is something that uh, you brought up Clubhouse, which is, seems to be exploding. I'm really interested in your thoughts on kind of network fatigue. 
Because, you know, nowadays there are just so many different ways you can engage with people. You know, we've got this the podcast media uh, medium, we've got Clubhouse, you've got LinkedIn, you know, we've the world has pivoted massively to, uh, you know, digital networking, which is in many senses much higher friction because it's cognitively really painful, I find personally anyway, to be on, uh, 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 you know, uh, in front of a computer for hours and hours at a time, but also instant Right. You can pop onto your iPhone. You can have Clubhouse on in a second. You can spend hours without even realizing it. So, you know, how do you manage that, you know, particularly as, a, you know, as a C-level exec in your team where it does become so important? And, you know, there's the, the sense of almost FOMO now that you've got so much to, to go after. Yeah, I've delved into Clubhouse. I, I, I might be too old, frankly. Who knows? Right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is. But um, I think there is an element of trying to be intentional about these things. Um, trying to use your time wisely and valuably and there are times when that is a hugely valuable thing for you to do to support people you know who might have uh, started a conversation on clubhouse and being part of that and uh, and then also you know dipping in and listening to new people and new conversations that you're not part of and new networks that you're not part of but i think you need to be intentional about it you can really disappear down a wormhole yeah. um Sometimes it's a rabbit hole and it's a nice surprise, but often I think it can become a bit of a wormhole. And being a founder or being a C-level executive, it, for me, it's not about the individual self-promotion. The fact that I'm doing this podcast is, is an unusual thing for me, right? And I was just being like, yeah, attracted by the title and what you're doing with it. And I think, yeah, I, for me, it was really valuable um, that, you're, that you're taking on this, taking people on this journey. But I remember meeting a huge bunch of entrepreneurs in an event when I was about six months into my time at Virgin, some of the most high-performing entrepreneurs in the UK. And I was amazed by how self-promoting they all were. <laughs> and like, that just doesn't, that, yeah, it's not a natural thing for me. And that, that's not the job. My, you know, my job you know, is, to, is to build a successful business, which means, yes, setting stuff and um, creating things that people want and, um, and all that kind of stuff. But more importantly, something that people want to be part of that's bigger than any individual so i think the element of self-promotion is for me just a little bit too exhausting some people are brilliant at it i'm not one of them it's, it's a fantastic answer and i think you know it's a really great lens to frame it through you know speaking very honestly i find this stuff also particularly in the digital space really tiring and hard to do and sometimes i think you get the it's very easy to get swept up in the sense that you feel like you need to do it, right? Because that's what lots of people are doing nowadays. And it's, a, you know, if other people are doing it for their businesses, you should do it too. But actually, if you zoom out and you go, actually, how does this legitimately benefit the team, the business, the mission? If you're, quite frankly, selling kind of hack life coach uh, services, maybe doing this sort of thing on Clubhouse is actually... Uh, really valuable. And that's massively, I don't mean that to be disparaged Clubhouse. I, I listened to a fantastic uh, talk between uh, Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz uh, on Clubhouse uh, lasted a couple of hours and it was brilliant. You know, there's super great stuff on there too. But I think, as you say, if you frame it through a lens of what's really valuable for you, for your business, for your team, all of a sudden the noise, you can cut out a huge amount of the noise, right? I, I really like that. I think that's yeah, uh, I, I, really I mean, that's absolutely right. You know, be intentional, work out what's valuable, spend your time wisely. There's only so much time in the day, right? Yeah. Yeah. I remember again reading a really great uh, tip from the CEO of Shopify. I don't know if people heard about him. Toby Lutker, I think his name is. He's a dad. I wonder whether we'll ever get him on on the podcast. But he talked about color coding his calendar by leverage. Um, and that really cut through to me, actually. You know, uh, it's hard 
you know, again, it comes back to that FOMO thing, right? Where you, you can look at things and be not sure what to say no to, but it's actually quite quick and effective to look at the things you're doing and go, how high leverage is this? Yeah. And all of a sudden, me doing that, trying to adapt that very, very quickly, I could see the top two or three things I should be doing in the day. Uh, and again, it comes ties back to your intentional side of things. Yeah. And I think you can, you can be in a position where you're trying to prioritize everything and everything feels like it's important and, yeah. and, and, and nothing can give. And, and you see that a little bit with, I think, with parenting to some extent, you know, my child's got to be swimming, they've got to be playing tennis and they've got to, you know, be learning chess and they've got to be going to this and that. It's like, sometimes you just need to be. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. And have time for, and space to kind of do the thinking that, that you want to do and, uh, and to, to explore things more creatively. And I think there's this terrible panic to kind of fill every moment of your day as, you know, with as much as possible, when actually sometimes just empty space is a really helpful thing and a very, a very good developmental thing, whether you're five years old or whether you're you know, in, your, in your 30s and 40s and running a business. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a great point, and uh, you know, my daughter, as I said, she's not quite old enough to do anything particularly useful, apart from break all my stuff, which is brilliant. <laughs> um, but um, we're in the era now where, in a world where everything is kind of recordable, Instagrammable, uh, consumable, where actually it really does feel like there's lots and lots of things you should be getting children doing from an extraordinarily young age. You contrast that with the um, Scandinavian, I think, countries where they don't actually start a, stru a structured curriculum. I don't know if that's entirely across all the Scandinavian countries. Maybe it's Finland, one yeah. of them, where they don't start a structured cur curriculum until they're actually, I, I think, you know, maybe seven, eight, nine, I I'm not sure. And again, it's that kind of thing that, you know, w when do you actually really grow and develop? It's not. It's usually in the gaps in between doing the really hard things, right? It's not actually while you're doing them. That's yeah, that's like, like you know, like crazy. I you read a lot of stuff in news about you know catch up school over the summer holidays. I probably did most of my developing it during the summer holidays. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. because I wasn't in some very structured environments. I was just finding my own way around things. Yeah, yeah. Do you find? I suppose this is a really uh, interesting point to uh, unpick a little bit. Uh, you strike me as a much more measured man than me which i think is a very valuable skill to have within a startup but do you find because of you know the journey you've gone on as a, as a startup that you're more reflective with with your children about how they do things the time they spend on things or actually is it the other way around i, I don't know i think i've become more cognizant of the, i suppose the difference between hard skills and soft skills and what's important to succeed and I think that's changed over, you know, over, over a period of time. But I, I'm more aware of the fact that knowledge isn't everything. But what is everything is your ability to to be resilient, your ability to 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 solve problems, um, your ability to share and be generous, like like we spoke about. Those sorts of things are actually more important, I think, in terms of how you're going to approach uh, a successful career and a successful life. Yeah. You know. My, Barony, my son, is already into gaming uh, and YouTubers. And uh, there's a YouTuber called Ethan who plays some game called Red Bull, which is like some problem. I don't know. I'm not a game, right? It's a problem-solving game. You've got to get the ball from one side to the other without dying. There's something. And it's hard. You know, it's not the easiest thing for a five-year-old to play, but like, he keeps on trying. I'm like, great. Just keep trying. I know you haven't managed that. Just persevere. Because actually... Awesome. That's kind of what matters. And yeah, okay, you're playing a computer game. It's probably not the most healthy thing in the world. You should be outside running. But you're also learning how to persevere and not give up on something. And um, I think those are admirable and, and important qualities. Yeah, that's fantastic. 
absolutely fantastic. And uh, you're right, uh, you know, um, having definitely spent far too much of my life being a first generation gamer and not running around enough. I've got very mixed <laughs> feelings about computer games for my children. But, you know, it's very interesting, isn't it, that the idea of actually gamification nowadays, what it can be used to do. And if you if it's being used in a way to teach perseverance and dedication, you know, uh, that's a, it has many, many advantages. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. Brilliant. Well, Benjamin, this has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, I think before we wrap up and jump on to startup shoutouts, I want to ask you my favorite question, the one I ask every guest. So what's the biggest lesson that you've learned from your journey in entrepreneurship that you'd like to pass on to your kids? I think that you're always learning. There is not an end point and um, you've got to be willing to keep learning new stuff as you go um, because that's the way you you find new solutions, you overcome challenges and, and the bumps in the road, which are inevitable. And so you should always have that kind of, I think, constant growth mindset to kind of keep pursuing stuff, keep interested, keep curious, mm. because I never expected to be in the world of insurance. Um, <laughs> and all of a sudden I am. Uh, and that's no bad thing. You know, it's been fascinating, you know, and there is probably nothing, you know, there, there are a few financial products out there or any products out there which are more socially purposeful uh, than insurance to, to the functioning of our, our society and our economy. And I'm glad I've had the opportunity to, to get involved in that and learn all about it and, and hopefully be part of something that moves it forward. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think, you know, that lesson that, you know, if you stay curious, the path that you don't expect to take is often the one that's the most fulfilling, right? Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Look, well, Benjamin, thank you so much uh, for coming on the uh, on the show. That was absolutely brilliant. We went massively off script and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed it. But before we go, um, it's time to close up with our regular feature, Startup Shoutouts, where we shine a light on some of the really great startup organizations that we admire. Startup Shoutouts. So, Ben, would you like to give us your startup shoutout? Yeah, I'm going to give you three controversially, maybe. Uh, and the, we, we work with lots of fantastic clients, but uh, two of our clients uh, both announced uh, new rounds this week. And I wanted to give a Absolutely. shout out to, to Gopher uh, uh, and uh, Laundry Heap. For me, you know, they're both doing great work and, and providing amazing services, particularly for you know, during the pandemic and enabling you know, deliveries to happen and laundry, all those sorts of things. But more importantly, the teams there really have the right intentions by the independent workers that work on their platforms and they, they do the right things to support them. And I think having values aligned partners is, is one of the most important things. Um, the other startup I want to give a shout out to is one which I think just helped me massively, which is a, a startup in a social enterprise called On Purpose and is all about transitioning leaders into socially purposeful careers. Tom and the team there have done an amazing thing, transforming individuals' lives and, and enabling them to find careers of purpose and huge admiration for what they've done. And especially, you know, I wouldn't be doing the things I've done over the last eight years if it wasn't for them. So uh, hugely thankful for, for their support and uh, everything that they've done. Brilliant stuff. Absolutely brilliant across the piece, keeping people going, keeping uh, everyone going during the pandemic. And, you know, one of our favorite to topics on Startup Dads is the, that topic of purpose. So really, really great really resonant uh, shout outs for, for us. Brilliant. Mine this week is a company called Nixplay. Absolutely, I'm afraid nothing to do with the pandemic or, or anything quite as uh, honorable as Benjamin's, but still a really, really valuable service. Actually, Nixplay make digital photo frames, which I'm, I'm pretty sure were really popular about 15 years ago. 
Um, but Nextplay make them with a slight difference. You can upload the photos into services like Google Photos and other um, uh, photo services. And when you do that, Nextplay automatically connects into the cloud and shows them uh, on the photos. And one of the things that you know, since I've had my, uh, my daughter, I've been trying to find a, an unobnoxious way of bombarding my family with lots of photos who all really want it until they get 45 WhatsApp messages in an, in an hour. And Nextplay has been absolutely fantastic for this because now I have a couple of Google Photos albums that I can drop some photos in and then they get a lovely photo pop up on their kitchen counter or whatever it is. So uh, a great idea, a really well executed uh, uh, and one that's keeping my family connected to uh, my daughter during the pandemic. So maybe maybe a little bit more uh, 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 of social good there than I first thought, uh, uh, mentioned. Well, yeah, that was a super cool idea and I heard of that and uh, yeah. Here's, here's 30 pictures of my son or daughter in their high chair. Like, you know, <laughs> what, what, what more can any grandparent want? Exactly, exactly that. Nothing like a blurry photo of your daughter not eating any food right, to, uh, uh, to make their day. Benjamin, again, cool. thank you so much. That was an absolutely brilliant episode. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Many thanks to today's guest. You'll find links to them and their work in the show notes. To join our community of parent founders, head over to the Startup Dance Facebook group. 